Okay. All right. Whoa. Are we? Uh, I'm going to say, huh? ready. This is your chance. Can you sing the opening song, please? <laughs> really? Yes. You do not want to hear me sing. That would be great. Let's do it. Ready? <laughs> ready? Do you remember that when you open the door? So yes. it starts. Okay. Ready? Ready? Go. Are you going to sing with do me? No. You, no. Sing okay. it. Ready? When you open. The door. You. You go. Okay. okay. I'll, I'll, do, I'll be the. <laughs> oh, do do do. Doom. Here it comes. Doom, doom. Ready? Doom, doom, doom. Two, three. When you open the door <laughs> for someone else. Woo! Sing it, Bob. You don't thank you for. That's right. Helping them out. They never thank you. <laughs> Keep, Keep a, a smile upon your face. Here we go. We are not putting this on <laughs> podcast. This has to show up. Seriously. No, yes. Oh, oh my God. darn it. I didn't push record yet. <laughs> no, Let me go push I see record. that red thing going. Listen, this will get you back for all the interrupting reviews. <laughs> you, this deserves to be heard. Okay. And good for okay. you. I'm, I'm, you know what? Oh, there we go. There we go. Oh, okay. Woo! Okay. Now let's cue the real music. <sighs> and start the podcast. You were brave. Very brave. When you open the door for somebody else. Welcome in, everybody. As a your Welcome turn? in. Okay. Welcome in. Welcome in. Welcome back. <laughs> Welcome to you, all of you. Yes, you. I'm talking to you. You're like, me? Me? Is she talking? Yes, you. You. Raise your hand loud and proud. Like, yes, you are part of our group. You're, you're part of our circle. And I apologize for all of you who just had to endure that little uh, pre-show uh, banter. Was and the, was uh, the dying cat? She made, <laughs> Is that what it was? She made me do it. Okay. Oh so my. welcome everybody to uh, an episode that we're going to discuss the FDA mm-hmm. and how it controls the media, which was an interesting article recently out. Yeah. And, and why does that relate to what we're talking about? You guys already know this. You guys are critical thinkers. You can see past the specificity of the topic and look broader and see how well if the FDA is controlling one thing over here, why is it not also controlling journalism about vaccines? And so right. that's something to pay attention to. But before first, how are yes. you? Oh. How are you, Dr. Bob? Good, good. You know, the office Good-ish. is busy. I mean, the good the office is busy and I don't know, when it's like a busy, busy long day, I get tired and I, I guess when you <laughs> Yeah, that's what Cheryl says. <laughs> Cheryl's like, I'm like, I'll text her. I'm like, oh gosh, I'm having such a long day. And she's like, it's called work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Cheryl. You know what? That's right, Cheryl. That's right. You, I'm glad she keeps you in check. It yeah. is important. No, but then she texts me like little heart signs or, you know, I appreciate she's you just trying to. She's just trying to lessen the blow. Yeah, but I mean, when you're self-employed, I guess it's good to be busy because when you're not busy, it's a... Uh, it's, you know, that's, you don't get paid. That's always uh, how it works. Like I always, I've always worked in jobs where it was like, if you show up, you're getting paid. And if you don't show up, you're getting, I've never had a salary job. I've always had jobs based on your performance of, you know, your actual production, like whether that was teaching, whether that was personal training, um, nutrition, like stuff that I used to do. It's like you show up, you get paid. And it's a funny, um, double standard with that. Right. Because on one hand, you have to get paid. You can only get paid if you show up. And on the other hand, if you don't show up, you're thinking, I need a break. I want some time for me. You feel guilty that you're not getting paid. And then when you're working too much, you feel guilty that you're not taking time for yourself. And it seems like there's really no place that you go, I'm totally happy right where I am. Like it's either right, I'm right. working so much, which is great for the money, but then you're saying, God, I really need some time or 
I'm, I'm taking time for myself, but then you're like, oh, I really should be making money right now. You know what I <laughs> well, mean? Yeah, like, you can't yeah. win either way. Well, I can tell you, I mean, something just kind of on a, a personal level is... Um, Let's do this. Wait. Um, Let's get personal, Dr. Bob. <laughs> I feel like we we always do every day, every time we do this, but but yeah, I mean, I you know, um, last year just you know all the stress of working you know full time all these years and uh, and the stress of you know uh, of you know the the medical industry trying to you know bring me down and trying to you know come after us doctors that uh, that you know uh, that do you know. Uh, Vaccine exemption, you know, evaluations. You mean that va- vaccine, to parents yeah, and- doctors that do vaccine safety evaluations, and and uh, you know, just all the stress of that kind of got to me. I basically decided I need to like cut down my work hours, and and so I, I kind of, I'm like I'm basically part time now in the office. I, I don't work the full you know forty hours a week because um, I just I I had to. I was uh, I I knew another couple years of trying to work full time while all this other stuff is going on in my life and while I'm trying to help change the world as well, um, is too much. I mean, I, you can only do so much. I think as, as, you know, as you would probably agree, you can only do so much for so long. So I basically had to, uh, start working part time so that now I can, I can have an afternoon off to sometimes do nothing. Sometimes I'll just read for fun. Um, Sometimes Cheryl and I will go on long walks, um, or sometimes I'll come at and the beach. Yeah, no, we do <laughs> holding no, we hands. Do. Yes. Uh, we do actually. <laughs> it grosses our kids. Our kids. Out. Um, <laughs> That's no, um, so funny. Uh, but no, sometimes I'll we'll do. I'll, I'll come podcast for the afternoon. Um, but yeah, it basically, you know what? Um, I think it, you know if you if you saw me, you know, last year and the year before, you probably saw I was super stressed and 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 overworked because I was doing all this, but also working full-time in the office. And it is, I felt like, you know, I think you can only take so much, you know, as a person. So and what you're saying is you basically were living like a mom. Is that what you're saying? You were yes. essentially being a mom. Well, I don't know. Well, what's that like? What's that overworked, like? Right. Right. can't possibly be everything to everyone. You get burned out and you had somewhat of an experience with what it's like to have to have essentially like two full-time jobs all the time. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, right, right, exactly. So, so it, it, okay. Yeah, well, I Just appreci- so, so 52% of our listeners yes. right now are like, welcome to my world. <laughs> I appreciate the sympathy from this. <laughs> yeah. I feel that it was, um, no, it was, I mean, it was, but it was, it was tough. And we talked about, you know, being self employed. If you are self employed and you go from full time to part time, uh, so does your, you know, so does your salary. So. But in the end, isn't what we realize that happiness, uh, life balance, all this stuff has really just nothing to do with money. Like we can continue to make more, have more clients, have this and that. And we really do sacrifice the ability to just be in the present and enjoy things right yeah. now. Because you yeah. don't take all that with you, and all the things. I mean, you could die tomorrow. Like the things that you think, um, you know, that you're that you save for and that you earn all this money for, you might not ever. That might not ever come to pass. And so, meanwhile, you're literally just blinders on through the life that you have now. And then that's not just you. That's everybody. Right. Everybody's right. chasing the dream of once I get there, then I'll be happy. Yeah. Once I get enough, then I can relax. And the truth is, we really have to have that balance all the time happening. Like I'm going to do some, but I'm going to take, I'm going to take, right. like I was talking to my husband about this, about we should take a vacation, you know, and the kids are a little bit older to Europe. 
and go for a couple months. And he's just like, there's no way that can happen. <laughs> like there's no, yeah. that, that costs money. Yeah. No it does. Kidding. Yeah. We, yeah. We did a three week, a three and a half week uh, trip with, with, with the kids about, I don't know. 10 years ago or something? Yeah. And so I said, well, okay, so you know it's going to be a certain – I mean, I'm a numbers person. If you know how much it's going to cost, then you plan for that. And over the next couple of years, you save for the amount that you're okay to lose because you're going to be away from work during those couple months, losing money also. But it's an investment in life experience that you don't do every year. This would be like a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. So you take the hit. For a period of time, and that might be another six months yeah. that things are lower after that to get back to tr- on track. But that's the the compromise that you make, and that it can't always be about go go go. If I just get more, if I just work more hours, I mean, like essentially, we're missing out on the quality of life because we're forever searching, you know, seeking that all my almighty dollar and what we think it's going to bring us. And what we're missing is the day to day actual like present moment. Because one of the things I always tell my husband is. What would happen if you got a diagnosis that you had two months to live? The last thing you'd be doing, I can guarantee you, would be going to work or trying to make money. The thing you would want to do is spend time with your loved ones. That would be the most important thing. And why doesn't that factor in? We act like we're guaranteed all this time and we're really not. And so why doesn't that factor in into our interactions now that you find the balance, find yeah. the compromise? I've told you that. Yeah. I've told yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. And I, I just, I had to, since I knew I would be doing this, you know, this uh, vaccine safety advocacy fight for um, for the rest of my life, um, I knew I just, I couldn't do that and be a full-time doctor the rest of my life as well. There's there's just no way mm-hmm. I, I would It I does would burn require out, an immense amount of time. Yeah, so I... Yeah, so so I guess that's uh, that's kind of I mean, so I'm doing I'm doing much better now this year. I'm you know, I'm able to you know balance all this and be much happier and, and enjoy the important things in life uh, you know, while I while I work you know part time in the office. But um, but well, thank you for thank you for asking. inquiring. Yes, well, there you yeah. go. Um, wait, 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 wait before uh, that. Okay, yeah. So I I I found I came across this. Um, we like to bring things that are kind of like in the news or articles we found. Maybe we won't do a full podcast on it, but just something to bring to your attention. And I found this CDC article um, that is addressed to healthcare practitioners on how they can convince, or in their words, make a strong recommendation, not a recommendation, but a strong recommendation for people to get the flu vaccine. And so recently there, there was that, um, article in Australia coming out saying doctors are now potentially thinking of recommending two doses every single year for everyone. So a twice yearly dose because people are still getting the flu. And I have personally researched the efficacy of the flu vaccine and it showed immunity dropping before 90 days. So that's a Hmm. three month period, meaning if you get it in October, it's not going to last by February. Well, as we've mentioned, the flu season is getting longer and longer. And this sort of seems like a precursor to this twice a year flu. Now you can imagine, I always say this, this is like the worst vaccine uh, that I think that they make. Um, that's on the childhood schedule. As far as efficacy. Efficacy and right. then risk factor. Yeah, right. uh, this is just not something you want to be taking every year, let alone taking it twice a year. We know we have studies that show you are at a four times increased risk of respiratory uh, infections um, when you get consecutive um, yearly doses of the flu vaccine. Right. Um, and we know that there's a chance that it actually makes you more susceptible to even influenza if you're getting two and three doses in, in years as well. 
this is in 2012 in Canada, one of those studies, and um, I forget the other one, but I'll post the links in the other. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I think we've mentioned about this before, but my point is, is this is not giving you any guarantee. You know that there's some risk and it's already risky to be taking this every single year because it's decreasing your immune system protection for other things, as well as potentially making you more susceptible to influenza directly. So knowing all that, doesn't that sound like a great vaccine for twice a year of the same thing? <laughs> I mean, it's not working well enough once. So let's make you just have more of it to see if that will help. And of course, it's not going to help. The only thing it's going to help is their profits um, by requesting this. So we know there are a lot of people that are skeptical of the flu vaccine. There's about a 30% on average, 18 to 49 year olds that get the flu vaccine every year. Uh, only 30%, which means 70% are opting out. That's a, that's a big portion. They're going after that market. And so they have a lot of these articles and studies, you know, that are how to convince your patients that you need the flu vaccine. So one of these came, that I came across, it's directly from the CDC website. And it says, make a strong flu vaccine recommendation. As a healthcare professional, your strong recommendation. So essentially that's coercion, right? That's your, you need to convince them to get it. This is not like your recommendation, your strong right. recommendation. This right. is the only time I've seen them use that word. Your strong recommendation is a critical factor that affects whether your patients get an influenza vaccine. What they're saying is, if you aren't the one that tells them they need it, they're not going to get it. And so they are marketing to physicians. They And this is the thing I noticed in the Senate um, hearings as well when they talked about you know censoring social media. They also talked about educating the doctors to make sure they're the only ones giving the information because people will listen to them and they won't uh, listen to anyone else outside of them. So it says... Adults will not get it, basically. You're, if Only if your doctor tells you, will you get the vaccine or not. It's a critical factor. It says most adults believe vaccines are important, but they need a reminder from you to get vaccinated. They need a reminder. So it says, follow up with each patient during every appointment. Follow up every single appointment to make sure they're getting their flu vaccine. If they still haven't gotten it, it says repeat the recommendation to address their concerns. So they're saying every single time, I don't care if somebody comes in there because they have a bunion Okay. They're telling you <laughs> right. at that appointment for the bunion, make sure you make a strong recommendation for their flu vaccine. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was just talking to a friend. Um, gosh, who was this? That's going to bug me. A friend or maybe someone at the office. Um, with a bunion? No, no, no I Not guess, with no. a bunion. Okay. <laughs> it was a patient. Um, she was telling me that she took her husband to the ER because he had some sort of like, like a severe, um, I don't know, severe abdominal pain or something. Um, and they they take them back to see them, and then and they offer him the flu shot mm -hmm. while he's there for severe abdominal pain, and then and then the wife says no, he doesn't want the flu shot. They took her out of the room and asked him again if he wants the flu shot. Yeah, sorry, you might have appendicitis, but mm -hmm. hey, let's let's give you the flu or shot. Or you might now. have a serious infection. Right, that right. Is let's give you the flu shot. They take you're right. They take every opportunity they can. And which so is they they created a little acronym, SHARE. Okay. S-H-A-R-E, to make a strong flu recommend, vaccine recommendation. It says, it is necessary for some patients to receive a strong recommendation from their doctor. Listen how they say that. They say that like it's a scientific fact that some patients need a strong recommendation. That They're saying they need a nudge. They need yeah. you to push them into the yes category because right now they're not there. This is all about how to manipulate your patients. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Like um, It says the CDC suggests that you use the SHARE method. And this is what 
what it says is share. So S, share the reasons why this vaccine is right for you because of your age. So this is ageism here. You're getting older. So, you know, and of course, age, they mean anybody like over 50, not even like 80 and older. We're talking about people that are still at an age to be healthy. Um, Highlight positive H is highlight positive experiences with this vaccine, your personal ones or in your practice to benefit, to reinforce the benefits and strengthen their confidence in this vaccine. Okay, so you're supposed to use your personal stories. Oh, I have a, I have a friend, Tommy, who got the vaccine this year. And, you know, he didn't get the flu and everybody else got it. Like they want, so, so this is, yes. they're telling you how to manipulate your patients. Share the reasons why they need this vaccine. Highlight your positive experiences with it because that's what people listen to, right? And then A, address their questions or their concerns, including side effects. It says in plain language, right? Because people yes. aren't really smart enough to actually understand anything mm-hmm. serious. But guess what they won't talk about in that addressing their questions? They're not going to actually talk about real side effects. They're right. not going to be talking about adverse reactions. That says to address vaccine effectiveness, Okay, so they're probably going to go right over the side effects into how this is safe and this is effective. Remember we always talk about safe and effective? It says right here, address their questions, including side effects, safety, and vaccine uh, effectiveness. Okay, that was H and A. R is remind patients that influenza vaccines protect them and their loved ones from serious influenza illness and complications. Haven't we found with our data in California that actually it does not prevent complications? And then the last thing, E, explain the costs of getting influenza. This is where we increase the disease, right? Including serious health effects, time lost from missing work or family obligations, and financial costs. They want you as a doctor to sit down with a patient and tell them you need to get this vaccine. If they are not complying, they want you to talk about how it's safe and effective, how your personal friends all got it and they're fine, and how if you don't get it, you're going to get seriously injured, you're going to lose money from work, and you're going to miss out on things that you need to do, and it's going to give you a a huge financial burden. Like, how doomsday can you paint this when we know that like 94% of adults, actually, you said 6% of adults, or no, 3% of adults get uh, the flu every year. Is it 3% or 6%? Yeah, I think, I think it was 3%. 6% of elderly, right? Yeah. Man. So 3%, so 97% of adults are not getting the flu every year. But if you go to your doctor, they will absolutely make you feel like if you don't, you're done. You're done yeah. that winter. Yeah. Like you might as yeah. well start signing your will and get it all ready yeah. to go. And then they even include a video from their, they pick a featured video of a yeah. doctor and it says, how she recommends the flu vaccine. They're trying to give you hints. Well, what I do when I have vaccine-hesitant patients is this. Like nowhere in this are they saying, maybe you don't need one. Well, of course not. No. But I mean, like, think about it. Is every, does every single person need a flu vaccine? Is everybody in a risk category to where they could not handle influenza? No, no, but but because the recommendation is for every human over six months of age to get it, that becomes the norm, of course. It's the norm, but it's, I mean, like, it doesn't even make any sense. The, um, Cheryl was telling me she saw a, a commercial for pneumococcal vaccine for Mm -hmm. elderly. And they t- they're taking a new angle, and one you one that you just mentioned, they were letting all the elderly grandparents see what they would miss out on as far as family time oh, if they caught pneumonia, and what they found is the elderly weren't weren't as afraid of being hospitalized or being sick. 
they were afraid of missing Johnny's graduation or missing you know, Sally's, you know, uh, uh, piano recital. You know, so pulling the, at the heartstrings. Yeah, yeah. The idea of an elderly person missing out on family time with their children and their grandchildren would be the worst possible thing. So yeah, of course I'm going to go out and get a, a pneumonia vaccine and the same is true and, for and the flu vaccine. And this is kind of in that 50 to 64 range that they're really hyping this. And it says they have a, they have a little uh, info sheet just on the 50 to 64. It says there are 63 million people in the United States between 50 and 64. That represents one fifth of the U S population. Think about that. 63 million people. What do you think they're actually seeing when they see 63 million? <laughs> 63 million doses times, times 10 yeah, is so, you know, 630 million dollars i mean right? they're just not for that age group right? right so they're looking at this is an, another percent of the population that is not at 100 percent. we need to this is just like any company that's advertising a food or some other product is like where are we missing our market right. where can we market and so yeah. it says um one-third of adults, 50 to 64, have an underlying medical condition that puts them at a higher risk for flu-related complica- complications. Okay, can I just stop and say, why isn't the CDC and our other government health organizations, why aren't they addressing the fact that one-third of people, 50 <laughs> yes, to 64, exactly. have underlying medical conditions? How about we cure the condition and they won't be at risk for flu? Why are we covering this up with a vaccine for the flu? Guess what? Those people all still have the medical condition. And right. like, I, like right. I found in California's data, out of all of the lab tests, uh, 20% only were influenza confirmed. That means 80% of all the people that ran tests, so whether that was urgent care or hospitals, 80% were not the flu. Right. So that means 80% are another respiratory illness that is serious enough to require medical treatment. So if you get the flu vaccine, you're not going to be covered for the other 80% anyway of other things right. that are not yeah, influenza. Right. And so we've not only do you have that, but you've got this condition that's making you weaker for those things. Yeah, so How what, about I yeah, mean like fix that. Yeah. yeah. Well, well there there's a whole conspiracy like I mean it's kind of a conspiracy. It's a theory. It's not a conspiracy theory because I think it's a very good theory. It's, it's just the idea that that our modern American health system is completely failing us as a oh, people, yeah. completely failing us. You know, we've, we've gone wrong in the areas of nutrition, you know, exercise, you know, bad habits, you know, smoking and alcohol consumption. And but just just, you know, you know just our, our, our modern medical system, it is not creating healthier people. No, it's, it, it's, it's not it, even trying it to address not. health. Right. So you're, you're totally right. When you read that, you know, one third of elderly people have a, a chronic health condition. They just, they just, that's almost the new norm. It's the new norm. And almost as if because we can't change that. Um, we can now now just give everyone the flu shot. How you're right. Let's investigate why everyone's immune systems are, are totally messed up and why everyone's cardiovascular right. you know systems and intestinal and systems diabetes and, and things like right, that and, that are in and, that age group. Right, and we know. I mean, basically, that this younger generation knows, and and uh, I guess this you know middle aged generation that I'm pointing to myself at. We now know that it all comes down to raising your kids with a completely natural healthy immune system natural nutrition mm-hmm. minimal you know exposure to environmental chemicals and toxins um healthy eating going outside and playing organic foods right and like and that. if if you are living that lifestyle you are not going to be one of those elderly with you know one third you know with a chronic health condition and that idea uh, unfortunately 
while it's a great and wonderful idea to the American public, that idea scares the American medical community. Of course. Because I was just thinking the other day, what would happen if we completely solved allergic disorders? And we realized, okay, we now know how to completely prevent almost everyone from getting allergies. Well, the entire, you know, allergy branch of, of yeah. medical specialties is, is out of business. If we cure diabetes, mm-hmm. um, and endocrinology is out of business. You know, if we figure out how to, how to keep people from having heart attacks, cardiology is out of business. Um, and we, we essentially, know how to prevent all that mm. by just simply complete healthy eating. A yeah. different approach, <clears throat> right. a different approach to health. Right, right. But that scares, you know, the the American medical system and I don't know, I I guess, you know, it's funny as a doctor, my my favorite day is spent seeing like doing 10 checkups right. on kids that literally did not need their checkup. Mm-hmm. I see them. I make sure everything's perfectly healthy. They're completely fine. The parents are raising their kids natural and, and they're, they're growing well and everything's great. And, and yeah. And so I, I, I look at them thoroughly, do complete exams. I answer questions. I make sure they're growing well. We talk about development and everything. So I, I make sure they're healthy, but in essence, yeah, they, you know, those 10 checkups, you know, the outcome is, yeah, there's no health problems. Everything's great. So yeah, I'm sure, you know, the parents appreciate the service and they, they're, they're glad they're there because then they get confirmation of kind of what they already knew. Mm. But how great is that to be able to see healthy kids and not have to solve any medical problems? And, and how, gosh, I mean, when I have a day where, where it's filled with, you know, with, uh, you know, even, even like one or two complicated medical problems, I mean, of course, I you know I, I I go through it and I help the families, but I think for me it's it's a lot more draining, mm-hmm. um, and I just love the days where where everyone's perfectly healthy, and I I just you know I, I wish all families could enjoy that that well, aspect. Of ideally, health. your and job they can is, if they know if they know how to you know raise their kids that way. You want to make it part. so people don't have to see you, right? I mean, right, that's the goal, right? right? People right. people think of well, if that's my practice, like I don't want people to be totally healthy or they won't need me. But that's not actually true <laughs> right. because there still will be a need. There's always new yes, babies born. Yes. There's always all of that. You as a healthcare practitioner, you should absolutely be wanting your patients to not need you to yeah. be healthy enough to not have problems and complications to seek medical treatment. They should essentially, you want them to be healthy from the inside out. And this is like a whole body approach that has to start in infancy, not to say that it it can't, you can always get better and you can always make change, you know, make changes of patterns. But this has to start with the way that we are being educated. And I had a conversation with some moms the other day about this, that our well visit appointments should be teaching us how to keep our children healthy and to build their immune system. Our well visit appointments should not be vaccination appointments. They should be educating us as parents. Like, hey, here's the deal. This is the deal with fevers. This is the deal with sugar and reducing the sugar and how it can benefit your child. This is, this is, here's a whole packet that, that we have for you on a little guide to how to raise your healthy child. Mm-hmm. And, and to make you feel empowered as a parent. Um, because we only vaccinate for a handful of things. There are so many other things that come around right. that we don't vaccinate for. And we have become so numbed to the idea that vaccination makes us healthy. 
but it doesn't make you healthy. It may prevent certain particular diseases in you, but it does not make you healthier. In some cases, it reduces and suppresses your immune system, making you more likely. Right, as we found out with the the whooping cough To get something else. And so I, I am just bewildered at why we can't as a country come together. So our obesity rate for this country is 30%. Okay. It is the highest. I, I'm, I'm one of those 30%. Stop it. You know, no, I know. If you look at the CDC guidelines. Really? Well, yeah. You look at your height versus weight. It's, yeah, but I, height I'm and weight is different than right. body mass index. That's totally different. No, no yeah, like, yeah. If you look at your BMI. Yeah, yeah. I, but yeah. so, because I, I was looking through these global infant mortality rates yeah. and came across this article about South, in Korea, their obesity rate is 3% wow. for the country. Wow. And ours is 30. Every yeah. single state in our nation is higher than any other country in this world. For Like every state. Jeez. There's not a single state wow. that has a lower rate than other countries. Like we are the wow. highest anywhere. Hmm. And when you think of 30 30%, that's extremely high. So shouldn't the CDC be getting together with other government organizations like the AAP? Um, shouldn't they be, instead of focusing on all the vaccines we can give you, shouldn't they be focusing on ways to make people inherently healthier so that they can prevent disease, uh, reduce complications, and also allow you a better quality of life later in life. So remember the Japan um, podcast we did? They talked about them being the number one country in health and in long quality of life health so that when you're going to be 80, you still feel pretty good at 80. You're not having this debilitating condition at 80 because it's not just the number of your age when you die. It's about the quality of life that you have. And if you're getting diabetes or getting these other conditions, then you're living from 50 years old to 85 with a condition that is impairing your ability to live well. And you don't see this kind of stuff on uh, NBC, CBS, NPR, CNN. What they do instead is talk about the outbreaks and the exemptions and the vaccines. And instead they're missing the boat right. completely on what we need to focus on, but yet they write these packets of how to manipulate people to get a vaccine instead of here's what you should do to help that 50 to 60 year old have a better and more healthy life. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, again, I think more young people are going to start asking these questions. Why are we all so unhealthy? And how can I raise my children differently in a way that that really matters for their entire lifetime? And I think that's what that's what you know we are going to start you know focusing on maybe more in future talks and, and oh yeah you know, things, things that we're going to one start of our next together. groups of episodes right. we're going to talk about um, some immune system building yeah 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 and, we'll yeah. Give, yeah maybe give like a little little primer on that but. <laughs> so what is today's topic? Well, anyway? this is going to be long anyway. The FDA okay, yeah, and the media. Yeah. We'll continue on this instead of making yeah. it a separate podcast. I, uh, I think somebody shared, people share articles with me all the time. Okay, so it's called How the FDA Manipulates the Media. Okay, so this is um, in Scientific American. And this is actually in 2016, so this is not brand new, but okay. it's totally relative to, to what we're talking about here. So this is, um, it says... Okay, the title, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration has been arm-twisting journalists into relinquishing their their uh, repertorial independence, our investigation reveals. Other institutions are following suit. says, the deal was this, NPR, along with a, a select group of media outlets, would get a briefing about an uh, upcoming announcement by the FDA a day before anyone else. But in exchange for that scoop... NPR would have to abandon its independence, its repertorial independence. The FDA would dictate whom NPR's reporter could and couldn't interview. Hmm. Think about that. Like, that is crazy, right? Um, 
And so it says NPR took the deal. And later that day, the reporters came, um, including CBS, NBC, CNN, The Washington Post, New York Times, Wall Street Journal. They showed up. They all took the deal. Okay. And they, um, every single journalist agreed to ask any questions of sources, uh, had agreed not to ask any questions of sources that were not approved by the government. So, and this is called um, a close hold embargo, is the term. But when we think of journalism, we think of fair reporting, right? The idea of journalism is you are supposed to just give the facts and let people come to their own conclusions. But what this is saying is in order to get the scoop, they made a deal behind closed doors to only handpick who the sources could be and the questions all had to sort of be approved. And that means they were not going to be interviewing somebody on the other side of this issue. Anything that does not paint the FDA in a right. good light. Okay, so – Right. Well, the 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 press is is always it's called like the the fourth branch of government. They're they're originally designed, and the original purpose was to objectively be free. You know, the free press to to, to find the truth and seek the truth and report the and truth. to call people out when right, they were doing right. wrong. And, and is basically a a check and balance on, mm-hmm. on the government. Right. That's why it's the the fourth branch of the government. That was the original intent of, of the press. And actually, Robert Kennedy talked about that in his thing with Connecticut, too, because he was mm-hmm. addressing press questions. And he said, the press needs to be a free press. We need to be able to debate these issues. It's absolutely crucial. And this is the same idea. This is a system of checks and balances. And when you are completely filtered and censored by the media, or the media is censored, and so therefore the public gets censored information, you are literally halting a true conversation because there there are not two sides to the story. And that's the entire reason we do this. We do this because we're trying to give you the other side. So it might right. seem like you mentioned in a, in a much earlier podcast, this might, might seem one-sided, but it's not actually one-sided. This is just the side that's never told. Right. And so that's the side we focus on because it's never told. Not that this is, um, you know, just the only side of any argument. You have a right to see both sides. We know the side you've already been shown. And so we're showing the other side. So this is called a closed hold embargo. It says, it's a tool used by scientific and government agencies. CDC. <clears throat> I'm so sorry. I something in my throat. <laughs> I'm so sorry, you guys. That's really unprofessional. Um, it says to control the behavior of the science press. So we know that there's even another level of journalism that deals specifically with health and science issues. And so this is controlling them. And it says, and it, the funny thing is it says the FDA assures the public it's committed to transparency, but documents show privately that the agency denies reporters access to things and even deceives them with half truths. Hmm. Uh, and so that's the opposite of transparency, obviously. Um, and it says what's, what's so sad about this is journalists are supposed to be keeping an eye on those institutions. Right. They're the ones like what you just said. And it says, I like this quote, it says the watchdogs are being turned into lap dogs. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. kind of an interesting yeah. uh, way to look at it, but it's true. But this is a backroom deal between journalists and uh, the people and stories that they cover and their sources. And it says a large proportion of science and health stories are a product of these embargoes. You just don't realize it because hmm. this is happening behind the scenes. And the last thing, you can go read this article yourself. It's actually kind of long. Is that a separate article? than the title you originally said? No, same way. It's just kind of long. But it says there's a thing called the Association of Healthcare Journalists. uh, And um, 
some whoever was quoted here, Megan Scott, which, says, which I'm a member. And she says, publicly objected to the close hold embargo, saying it would be a serious obstacle to good journalism. Reporters who want to be competitive on a story will have to agree to write only what the FDA wants to tell the world without analysis or outside commentary. I mean, isn't that like everything that we're saying is um, about the need for transparency and honesty and the fact that we can't. So now we're being censored on social media. But before that censorship, there's already another censorship happening. And that's the stuff yeah. that you get. So it's already right. been happening. And, and, you know, again, Robert Kennedy, I go back to him, but he mentioned how uh, a friend of his that owns a news network basically said 70% of our advertising is coming from pharmaceutical companies. They will not uh, be okay with me letting you on the show. So even if I agree with what you're saying, even if I think you have a right to talk about protecting kids by taking out heavy metals and making, making sure things are safe, even if that is a public health, that's a public health crisis in itself where pub, the public has a right to know they still won't do it and they won't do it right. because of who their advertisers are. So things are already being censored as far as how the government is painted, the light that the vaccine program is painted in. And, and then now they're censoring just the average person who wants to talk about it on social media. But again, it's called, um, this article is called... Um, how the FDA manipulates the media. And it was in the Scientific American. This is October 1st, 2016. And, you know, even though this is talking about the FDA, obviously the FDA oversees the CDC, right? They're connected or not, maybe not oversees directly, but they are in direct connection yeah. with them as it relates to. Right, right. They're, yeah, they're just part of the, uh, yeah, they're part of the, what do you call it? Sister organization. Yes, yeah, like a triangle of the CDC, FDA, and, and, and pharma, you know. You know, the a very cozy yeah, yeah. triangle. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. I thought it was an interesting article yeah. uh, to check out. So, I, I mean, we talked about Coca-Cola and the conflicts of interest as it relates right. to the CDC directly. Right. These kinds of topics, while they, it doesn't seem to be directly related to um, vaccines, you can see when you step back, you can really see how this is happening all the time with all of it. Yeah. And we're yeah. just, we're not getting the whole story. Yeah. And um, something that that's kind of related that... Uh, that um, Cheryl brought to my attention, and this was kind of timely. You know, you've heard about the um, the the couple of uh, Boeing plane crashes that we've had over the uh, uh, this year. Like in the last six months, there have been two Boeing plane crashes, and you wonder, well, what does that have to do with uh, you know the vaccine conversation? And Wait, did um, you just tell me about this? Because somebody just told me about this a couple of days ago. That is so funny. I don't know if I did. You? I don't okay. think I don't think I did. Um, um, and, and the so I, I'm going to tell this story, and then we can talk about the parallels because the parallels are pretty fantastic. So this this was um, the the article is called "What We Learned About the FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration, and Boeing's Cozy Relationship from a Damning Report." And this was uh, by Dylan Scott. It was March 19, so just just recently, and um, it's uh, it was an article. Um, I think from the yeah the Seattle Times. So basically, the Seattle Times did this investigation. They found that Boeing, who makes airplanes, and the FAA, who was basically like the FDA but for uh, right. for airplanes, right? Um, so instead of drugs, they they uh, they manage airplanes. They cut corners to get the 737 Max into service before the deadly crashes. So essentially, in case you didn't know, there there were two Boeing 737 MAX planes that crashed over the last six months. 
and they both crashed because of this malfunction that went wrong with the uh, with like the the computerized um, uh, autopilot system. And essentially, something would would activate that would cause the flaps to make the plane's nose dive down, go down suddenly, without the pilots pilots being aware of it and without the pilots being able to control it. And that's what essentially caused these two crashes. And so it's happening in other countries as well. Right, right. right? In fact, it, it, well, the two crashes were in other countries. I think one of them was Vietnam. Was right, it? right. But the the FAA helps manage worldwide right. aviation. It's not just American. Um, so basically it says, in a hurry to finish the design and the manufacture of the Boeing 737 MAX and to get the plane to the runway, both Boeing and the FAA appear to have rushed and cut corners, including not mentioning to pilots that they had installed a new flight control system on the updated aircraft. And um, th- this was uh, this was all done by a Seattle Times investigation by Dominic Gates, according to this article. The company's safety analysis understated uh, what the potential problems could be. The company's own safety analysis. So Boeing did their own safety analysis. They understated the risks. After the first crash, the FAA learned. What caused it? They learned that the pilot's flight control system could adjust the horizontal tail pushing the nose down. So the the FAA learned what was wrong after the first crash. Then there was a second crash like six months later. The the two crashes uh, killed um, almost 350 people. Um, Then finally, uh, other countries decided to ground this aircraft, ground this aircraft, not allowed to fly anymore. But other countries made this decision before the uh, American FAA would make the decision. And everyone, you know, the FAA was very slow to decide they should ground these aircrafts. uh, According to this investigation, the FAA increasingly delegated inspections and other safety checks back to the company itself, back to Boeing. So instead of the FAA doing all the safety studies and safety checks, they put a lot of that back onto Boeing themselves. And then Boeing can choose which one of their employees could do the critical work with the FAA to make sure the planes are safe to fly. The Department of Transportation, which is a different, which is an American uh, department different from the FAA, is now investigating the FAA for this, and there's a grand jury and subpoenas. Um, but what's interesting is Boeing wanted to keep costs down in implementing this new aircraft. Part of the cost savings was that Boeing uh, made a crucial decision not to train pilots on the new flight control systems and not to even mention that this new flight control system was there, not to mention it in, in the safety manuals. And the decision to do this was made as a cost-saving measure. Well, um, uh, let's see. And that was a key selling point for the jet as well. So finally, the crash raises difficult questions about the Boeing FAA cozy relationships. Um, one of the uh, flight engi- one of the safety engineers from the FAA said there was constant pressure in our jobs to reevaluate our initial safety findings. 
Even after we had reassessed the safety, mm-hmm. there was continued discussion by our management about delegating even more of these safety, item, safety items back to Boeing instead of us at the FAA doing these ourselves. Plus, they basically wanted a different outcome. They want right. like do the study again and, and come out with right. a different outcome, please. Right, and there was there wasn't a complete and proper review of the documents, and it said the engineer, the FAA engineer, review was rushed to reach certain certification dates. So the FAA has, has, has regulated uh, you know, aircraft manufacturers like this way for years, but the recent crashes have brought concerns. Uh, so there's a culture of coziness between the mm. FAA and, and Boeing and other aircraft manufacturers. Um, uh, a, a representative, a, a congressman, actually gave repeated warnings over many years about these issues. And um, let's see. They they end with supervisors have not always supported employee efforts to hold Boeing accountable. Um, so it, it basically ends with lawmakers have promised to look into the crash and the circumstances that led to it. A federal grand jury is reportedly taking up the case. More than 300 people are dead and answers will be demanded to explain how a system with such a strong reputation for safety may have allowed such tragedies to happen. So when, when Cheryl told me about the story and I read it, I mean, the parallels are just, just beyond amazing. First of all, we have the Boeing making the aircraft and doing their own safety regulation mm-hmm. studies. That is exactly like our, our vaccine manufacturers, of course. Um, that'd be the first parallel. Um, and yet it's interesting that everyone is up in arms over this, mm. yet – Everyone lets lets the vaccine manufacturer system completely exist the way it is. No one cares that they're doing all their own safety research. And you think three hundred people die, and nobody hears, but nobody's really hearing about. I mean, it's hearing about it, but nobody's really. I'm sure they would have loved to keep this quiet, right? And then you've got nobody dying of measles, and there's this like humongous uproar. Right. When, I mean, if you right. want to talk about saving lives, right. here was an opportunity to save three hundred and fifty lives. There haven't been three hundred and fifty yeah. deaths of measles in decades. So yeah. like. I always find that funny. Yeah. But also the idea that industry and corporations and regulatory agencies have these cozy relationships. That's obviously the other parallel. Exactly. So it's not, yeah, everyone talks about the CDC and the FDA being, and manufacturers being mm-hmm. cozy. But here we have, you know, you know, the FAA and airplane manufacturers being cozy. I wonder is, are there any, like large industries that are not cozy with their with their regulating body and government. Money talks. I mean, I that's wonder. what it comes down to. Right. Money. Like you know, you have to be cozy. Remember the Coca Cola thing with the World Health Organization. You yeah. need to be cozy with the people who could either allow you to get away with a little bit more or promote you even a little bit. Um, that's the ultimate when it comes to your profits is right. is getting the people who could potentially oversee you on your side, and right. they can turn a blind eye if they need. Too. Right. I mean, this has been happening for decades, yeah. multiple yeah, so decades. One of my favorite parallels in, in this in this story is basically they uh, Boeing created this new flight control system, and they decided not to train any of the pilots mm-hmm. on its use because that would cost more money. Um, vaccine manufacturers don't mm-hmm. don't offer they don't give any training to doctors on how to recognize vaccine reactions, what to do when something yeah. goes wrong. In fact. The manufacturers put that information in the package inserts. Right. It's there in writing, but they make no effort to train doctors. Medical schools don't train doctors. There's no like 
they, it costs a lot of money to put doctors through all these training programs to tell them what to watch out for, you know, and, and how, how to, to deal with the vaccine reactions. What how happens about how when to something recognize goes them, wrong? Though. Right. So not just what happens right. once it goes wrong. How about how to know if something has gone right. wrong? Right. And here the, the, you know, Boeing decided not to train pilots on the new use of this new flight control system. Then something went wrong. Well, six oh. months ago, a plane crashed. You know, uh, 187 something people died. At that point, they figured out what went wrong, and still they would Six not later, train yeah. pilots on what went wrong and what to do. They, they could have prevented the second they, crash, right? They could have prevented the second mm-hmm. crash, and um, and uh, and the you know the so when something goes wrong with a vaccine, they you know when when they start getting reports of fatal reactions. You know, people start crashing from getting a vaccine. Does the and we get these VAR reports? Does the CDC actively put out those warnings to doctors? No, not at mm. all. Do the manufacturers put out warnings? No, they don't until until tons of people die. Once enough people die, it beca- and becomes like a black box warning, or it becomes like a right. severe enough problem. They put it in there, but they don't quote train the new doctors. Uh, they train the doctors on what to do about this. They just they just you know pretend it's there. It they, they don't tell them right right and um, so they found that that parallel interesting but um, then there's another oh yeah yeah so uh, Cheryl was telling me there's a there is a third almost crash hmm. which uh, which was in the news where a third plane had the same malfunction the nose went down the plane started to crash and. Um, there was like a, an extra pilot with them that day, like that day, like riding along mm-hmm. just like the, cause he, he wasn't the main pilot, but he was just there riding along. He knew what went wrong. He had been told mm-hmm. he kind of had, had somehow had heard or been trained. This new flight control system can make the nose dive and here's how you fix it. So he actually saved the plane. He, he, he told the pilots the what to do. Yeah. yeah. So imagine that. Yeah. Imagine like, like, you know, a, a professional being trained what can go wrong with, with this process and then recognizing when it goes wrong and fixing it, fixing it. That sounds like doctors who How about are finding a solution, right? Like who are, who are recognizing people. vaccine reactions, recognizing when there's risk and, and then trying to educate others on, on what to do about it, how to save people from those risks. I re- yeah, I remember it was actually my friend um, Sandy that told me about this. She told me we, we went on a walk last week and she mentioned this exact article. I've not seen anything about this. Hi, Sandy. <laughs> I've not seen anything <laughs> about this online myself, but she actually brought this same story and we talked about it for a while. Um, and it's, yeah, it's yeah. interesting. And there are a lot of parallels and this whole idea of your government's going to tell you, of course they're going to tell you. You realize there's so much stuff that is, kept, you know, behind the scenes or under wraps, things that you just don't know are happening and are putting people at risk. There's no transparency. Please, like, do not convince yourself that the CDC, the government, anybody is being completely transparent with you about anything as it relates to health, your potential risk and dangers and stuff. No way. The only time this stuff comes out is when somebody's been harmed. Right, and and they lots say, of people. Right, and they, they say here repeated warnings have been issued over the years uh, about the relationship between the FAA and Boeing specifically. Repeated warnings, and government officials have 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 uh, you know put out warnings about this, and they've done the same with with the vaccine safety. You know, there are some congressmen that are speaking out about mm. vaccine safety. You know, that our own government has issued two warning reports to the FDA and the CDC about collusion 
and and cooperation and conflicts of interest between pharma and the CDC and between pharma and FDA. The government is putting out warnings, but then nothing happens. Mm. Nothing happens until a lot of people are hurt. Right. And um, and then in one particular case, people can continue to be hurt and nothing happens at all. Right, right, right. Which and, is what we see. And so now. now all these planes are grounded, right? Now all these planes are grounded uh, worldwide. Yeah. Um, but when there's a problem with vaccines, even though even a problem that we know is going to cause some fatalities, you know, um, you know, they I guess the, the government just stays silent. And the I mean, FDA think about like silent. remember the romaine lettuce gate, <laughs> where yeah. they basically yeah. did yeah. took out all right. for just even I don't even remember how many cases there were, and I don't even think there were. It's not like there were you know thousands of fatalities. They literally took it off everywhere. It was this massive yeah. thing. And you're thinking, and they put out warnings that it was on the news. And then like you see problems happening with kids with vaccines, not on the news, no warnings and never taken off um, right. because it will see the romaine industry uh, isn't strong enough to, to, to be upset about the, their product looking poor, you know, poorly. And so they don't want people to lose faith in the vaccine program. And so any, any chink in the armor, as they say, yeah. reduces confidence in the program. And so even if they are straight up lying and hurt and continuing to hurt people, they will try to keep the narrative exactly as is. But that, I think this right. conflict of interest stuff that we bring to the table on this issue is, is crucial right? because the integrity right. of the institutions that you think are, are there to protect you, you have to understand if that integrity is not there, then the information that they are giving you is also not full of integrity. And so whenever somebody says, I only pay attention to CDC links, well, if you realize the CDC is not full of integrity, then the information they are giving you is not full of integrity. It doesn't yep. mean that it's going to be 100% truthful because they are not being 100% truthful. And so it's important to understand why you can't only look there right right and i yeah and i think you you the consumer of, of medical care you have to do your own research because because sometimes there are conflicts of interest in the government body that's supposed to be doing the research for you and the manufacturers that are supposed to be making safe products i mean i'm sure say you know airplanes are safe and effective right yeah. you know, and uh but but not always and when something goes wrong but you're not forced to take the flight though so there's <laughs> yeah, the difference yeah. right yeah you can um, opt out of flying yeah, all you yeah, want yeah. yeah anyway so yeah so thanks uh thanks for um tuning into this episode this was kind of a, i don't know kind of a random you know what kind of what's going on out there in the world we right like now to be random episode. sometimes and, um, um, but yeah, we're gonna. I think our next episode is kind of gonna is kind of uh, back to sort of the the basics of, of the vaccine conversation and the vaccine decision for parents and and how you face this issue in your doctor's office. You Can't know, wait! I know. That's <laughs> yeah, uh, one of my. I've been looking forward to this episode. I know so. we've been postponing this one like for like <laughs> yeah. every time. It was like the bottom of the list every time yeah, we got together. So we are there. finally going to do it. But anyway, Gives me uh, time. Yeah. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> we kidding. do. I'm ending this out this episode right now. Well, uh, don't forget to rate and review us, you guys. Just on, talk double time, like you can press on the podcast. Just talk double time from here to the end of it to end it faster. Okay, thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, you guys, everybody. Like, like the micro machines, guys. Yeah, don't forget <laughs> to sign up for our email email list on immunityeducationgroup.org. <laughs> Facebook page, review, rate. Thank you so much. <laughs> I actually played the, to get those sources, I played it on double because yeah. you told me that oh, was an option. Yeah, cool. And yeah. I was like, oh my God, I'm talking so fast. Then I forgot I had it on double and I played it again. I was like, why am I talking so fast? I'm like, oh, thank God. Because I've been told I talk yeah. a little bit quickly. And I, I'm very slow. And I'm I very fast. very slow. You're, you're the 0.5 speed. Okay, that's enough. Right. Bye, everyone. Bye, you guys. See you next time. 
The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as medical advice. Always consult your healthcare professional for information on vaccines and infectious diseases.